Welcome to the Trinity Western Chapel Podcast. As a vibrant part of life at Trinity Western University, Chapel creates opportunities for us to engage with God's story of redemption in Jesus Christ through His Word, prayer, and worship. We're glad you're listening and hope that you encounter God's heart for you and the world. Hey friends, my name is Desmond Henry and it's my joy to serve at the Luis Palau Association. I head up what is called the Global Network of Evangelists. We seek to identify, affirm, equip, and mobilize evangelists around the world. We believe that together we're able to reach and impact more people for King Jesus and accelerate evangelism around the world. If you love sharing the gospel, please do check us out online. Evangelist.global is our website. And membership with the network is absolutely free. Join a movement of thousands of evangelists as we seek to change the trajectory of the Christian faith for the next generation. Be a part of it. Join us within this movement. But it's such a great joy for me to be with you today virtually. As you can hear, I'm based in Johannesburg, South Africa. I speak funny. I, I, I bring greetings to you from the Plough Association and from our team around the world. And uh, it's going to be such a great joy to go through the book of Esther, chapter 9, verses 11 through to 19 with you today. Thank you for the opportunity. And thank you also to the person who gave me this rather challenging, complex, nuanced, tough text to deal with. And I've only got 15 minutes to exegete and give applications. And so let's see what I can do within those 15 minutes. Uh, on a serious note, though, yes, the book of Esther is a great book. I'm so pleased to hear that you've been going through it. Um, but again, it isn't easy to go through. It's not easy to teach from. And a couple of reasons why. I think, firstly, there are no messianic promises found within this book. Uh, as you are well aware about now, that the name of God doesn't ever appear within the corpus of the text of the book either. And so if you look at the contents, in fact, the only spiritual discipline, if you like, that's referenced is fasting. And, and who likes fasting anyway? There's no prayer, no scripture reading, no evident spiritual disciplines. And then, of course, we have this text, chapter 9, verses 11, following this great massacre of people. Um, and again, the ethical, moral question that all of us are asking is Esther right in having done what she did, extending the killing by a day? Did they act ethically in all of this? And so it's a tough text. I acknowledge that, but I believe that it's in the word of God, and therefore we are called to deal with that text and to face it. And there are great answers to some of the questions that you may have. And so looking at the book itself, again, we have a limited time, and so I'll be dealing with a very uh, focused portion of this. But, but ultimately, looking at the book of Esther reminds me of my own life. Because there was a time when I, I, I had no hope. I was a spiritual orphan. In fact, there was a time when God, I felt, was absent from the visible narrative of my life. I was filled with anger and vengeance and, and just hatred as a young child. I grew up in a single parent home. I only met my dad when I was 21 years of age. And so I had a lot of issues to deal with. Also, looking at my life, you would have seen no evidence, just like this text of prayer, spiritual you know, devotion to the Lord, or any scripture reading at all. My family didn't even own a Bible at that time. We were as far, well, I was as far away from God as anyone could be, yet God turned it all around. And I experienced what we've come to see in the book of Esther as one of those great reversals, right? 
I was fatherless, yet God adopted me into his family. I was a troubled, dropout, delinquent child, yet God elevated me. And now I get to teach and preach. I went literally from a failure in school to someone who has a PhD in missiology, all because of God's goodness and grace in my life. I was headed on a one-way road to utter destruction. And God rescued me. He delivered me. And now he chooses to use me uh, in his own wisdom uh, and strength to do the same and rescue others who are on the same path. What an incredible book this book of Esther is. Yes, it's challenging. It's complex. It's not so easy. Uh, but I think it's, it's important for us uh, to read the book of Esther and, and to be reminded of what a beautiful example it is for, for our world today. The cultural moment we find ourselves in is often dark. It's lonely. We're left wondering, perhaps, God, have you forgotten us? I mean, in this pandemic, we have to, we've, we've seen another development, another variation, Omicron developed. Thank you, South Africa, for identifying that. Um, but we, we wonder, Lord, where are you in the midst of all of this stuff? More importantly, in culture, we see this growing tension and resistance from culture towards the Christian faith. Some even would, would see a sense of hatred of Christians, persecution. Certainly, there's persecution globally as well. Christians may even be seen as redundant um, in some sectors of society. By all accounts, we seem to have been defeated. The power of this world has spoken, much like the king uh, in Esther's story. This is what is going to happen. Yet we have not fallen. I'm reminded of the truth of Colossians chapter 1 and verse 6. Look, look at it. The same good news that has come to you is going out all over the world and it's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives. And the truth is, God's gospel is going out and bearing fruit all around the world. And it's doing that because Paul reminds us that, that, that God uses us as instruments in the process. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 14, thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumph, triumph and, 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 and through us spreads the fragrance and the knowledge of him everywhere. You know, God raises up leaders, God raises up ministers, God raises up people for himself to accomplish his purpose in the cultural moment, or as Esther would put it, for such a time as this. And he raised up in this text Esther and Mordecai, and neither of them were priests in any way, yet God used them very specifically to deliver his people. And so, as we look at the world around us, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to look at the threats that we see around us. But as many as those may be, the opportunities for the gospel are even greater in these days. What do you see? Whom do you trust? What will it take to turn things around in your life and in the world within which we live? Well, there are three things like a good Baptist sermon I want to look at today that I think would be helpful to you and that will will hopefully elucidate parts or elements of the story. The first one is that we're called to trust in God's timing. We're called to trust in God's timing. Secondly, we're called to believe in his providence. And thirdly, we are called to labor in 
humility. Chapter 9 of Esther, trusting God's timing. This brings us to the actual moment of victory. Up until this point, everything has been leading to this very moment. The Jews were able to defend themselves, and they were able to even overtake their enemies. The question on everyone's mind, though, still is, did Esther take it a step too far? Asking the king for another day of slaughter. Was this unethical? Other theologians would say, not really. I mean, this was the eradication of God's enemies, the Canaanites, uh, who in the book of Deuteronomy, he'd given instruction to his people to destroy way back then. However, we look at this, ultimately, we see that the important lesson in this text is God raises up people who he uses. But in, in all of this, Esther uses her influence wisely for the salvation of her people and the destruction of her enemies. Would we have done likewise? Probably. I'm not sure how I would react in that particular situation. But we are called to steward our influence responsibly. And looking at this text, we see that's exactly what she did. Chapter 9 is the culmination of Esther's speaking up and also of God's action behind the scene. It's helpful to point out the obvious, I guess, but this particular passage of scripture deals only with the victory that was achieved. And the victory that was achieved is only written about within half of the book of, of, of Esther chapter 9, particularly. And the whole book leads up to this particular moment. Well, why is this important? Well, I think so often in our lives, we are so rushed in terms of getting to a particular outcome that we forget that there are important lessons to learn along the way. There are important things that God wants to develop in us and, and as, as we journey in this particular way. It's so easy for us to become driven by our consumer mindedness and we neglect this. I served as the provost and missiologist at the Baptist Theological College in Johannesburg, South Africa for about a decade. And one of the things that I noticed a trend with students coming in is, you know, they couldn't wait to be done with their three or four year degrees and kind of move on to real life and real ministry. And, and there's this false assumption that, you know, these three years or four years are going to adequately prepare us for a 30 year career or a 30 year ministry. Well, Jesus did exactly the opposite. Jesus spent 30 years in preparation for a three-year ministry. And so that's something just to think about a little bit in terms of God's timing and how we respond to that. You see, we're called to trust in God's timing. God knows all things. He is sovereign. He is almighty, right? His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He knows what he's doing with our lives. God is always at work. Even as we see in this text in the mess and the moral ambiguity of our time, he's at work so that his plans and his purposes would ultimately be fulfilled. Look back in your own life. See the faithful hand of God that got you to this point and look forward in faith, anticipating God's faithful hand to be with you in the years that are to come. In Psalm 73 and verse 3, we read a verse that I guess all of us could resonate with. The psalmist says, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Oh man, how we can sometimes envy 
those who live as if there is no God, right? But have a look at verse 16 following. The psalmist says, when I try to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground and you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, how completely swept away by terrors. Let us not, let us not be under any illusions. There is an accountability to be had. And everyone who does evil will stand before Almighty God one day. And what we see in this particular text, in this moment, in Esther chapter 9, is that this moment can make a lifetime of a difference. Esther and Mordecai's actions in this moment saved the Jews and led even to the institution of the Feast of Purim. What a wonderful achievement. What a wonderful victory for God's people. So trusting God's timing took nine chapters for the Lord to kind of work up to this particular point. Wherever you are in your life, trust in his timing. He's at work in your life. Don't take that for granted. Number two, trust in his providence. Trust in his providence. If there's anything that the book of Esther teaches is, or is simply that yielding to God bears results. Yielding to God bears results. God raised up Esther, the same as he raises up the rest of us. God exalted Mordecai, and he humbled Haman as well. The day had finally come, this moment in time in which the unchangeable law of the Medes and the Persians had been established, the day on which the conflict would actually occur. The day in which these two unchangeable laws would clash head on on the same day. The law which permitted the, the Jews' enemies to take them out and the law which permitted the Jews to defend themselves, to rise up and legitimately defend themselves. And I want you to see how even though Esther was victorious in what her and the people were able to achieve, that that victory had three things that I think surrounded it. The first one is, is noticeable in chapter 9 and verse 2, which is only attributable, in my mind at least, to the divine work of God. And that is, firstly, the fear of the Jews fell on all people. God had been at work in the hearts of those around, and, and they, they were so filled with fear that the Jewish people were able to overcome them. What an amazing reminder this is, even of the, the conquest that Joshua led and how they, they moved through the land and conquered the land. They did that not because they were mighty and they were great. No, because God instilled a sense of fear into the people and they readily submitted. Secondly, the leaders of the land also lent their support. We read about that in chapter 9 and verse 3. This was due to the divine influence of God. Haman is gone. He's been dealt with. The wickedness has been dis uh, destroyed and God has elevated Mordecai to a position of prominence. And, and those in the land want to please Mordecai. And so they, they follow and give their support in the matter of the Jewish people. But also, thirdly, and this is important, the Jewish people did not take the plunder. They were not greedy. They didn't want their motives to be questioned. They defended themselves and they were not enriched by someone else's despair. And so Esther chapter 9 provides the resolution of the whole story. The crisis is faced by the Jews 
uh, and, and it's finally averted to their benefit, to their joy. This also provides a link, the victory does at least, to the outcome which the book of Esther describes as the Feast of Purim. Life for the Jewish people has been changed forever because they now experience a new victory, a memory that they will perpetuate from this day on. Have a look at chapter 9 and verse 22. It says, and it was a month which was turned from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into joy or into a holiday. What a wonderful reversal that is all to God's glory. Trust in God's providence. Trust in God's providence. Even when we cannot see his hand visibly at work, we are called to trust in him. Trusting doesn't mean that we're inactive. No, not at all. In fact, it means that like Queen Esther, we make the most of every opportunity that is given to us. But we've got to be careful, and we'll come to this later, but because some of these opportunities can bring out our dark side and can show very often how even though God is at work, we sometimes take it a step too far. Number three, we're called to labor in humility. And we'll close with this one because I'm running out of time. This text describes for us how God uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect plans and purposes and will. This is, in fact, Esther is not an isolated incident. This is true of all scripture, and this is true in our own lives. God chooses to use imperfect, weak, frail, fragile, sinful humans to accomplish his plan and his purpose. In fact, he describes it in the book of Romans this way, this is the good news for us. God works all things for the good of those who love him. We may not have gotten it right, but maybe God made it right. Because God is a God of grace, a God of love. And so when we're repentant, God works a reversal that leads ultimately to our rejoicing in him. When all is said and done, we labor with all of our heart, and then we rest and we celebrate. That's something I'd like to end off this particular message on, is this rest and celebration. Today, we celebrate communion to remember what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. The taking of the bread reminds us of his body broken for us, the cup of the, the blood of the new covenant shed for us on the cross. These elements remind us today of the victory of Christ over sin and death. Again, one moment changes everything. Christ, Christ overshadows even what we see as the victory in the book of Esther. Jesus on the cross crying out, Tetelestai, it is finished, was not a statement of I'm giving up, I surrender. It was a statement of victory. Tetelestai, the Greek word telos is the root of that particular construct. And it reminds us of the fact of the great eschatological truth we find there that the end had been achieved. The plans and the purposes of God from eternity had now been achieved in this moment in time. It was the culmination of God's salvific plan for all of humanity. And so the text of Esther reminds us that the two days of slaughter correspond with the two days of feasting and celebration. We need to celebrate well what we have in Christ. Maybe even consider taking some time this morning and consider what Jesus has done for us on the cross of Calvary. Take some communion together uh, and celebrate that. 
for a moment because I don't know if it's just me, but I, I don't rest well. I don't celebrate well sometimes. In ministry, you move so fast onto the next thing. It's really hard to take a moment and, and celebrate because you're always preparing for the next event, the next program, the next thing. And it's easy for us to be fooled into thinking, thinking that the metric of our success is our labor. It's our sacrifice. It's our presence and not the Lord. Our obedience based on Christ's sacrifice once and for all is the only requirement for us to be used of the Lord. And just like the book of Esther, if we are not guarded, we can allow, allow a good thing to become a ultimate thing in our lives, a bad thing in our lives. Our strengths can become our greatest weaknesses. And so Esther demonstrates this principle in extending the day of slaughter from one day into two days, kind of taking it just one step further. Maybe God did use that to eradicate these people. Maybe she was being faithful in, in, in that sense, and God used that in that way. But I think we need to be mindful of taking things a step further and running ahead of God. We are called, friends, yes, to trust in God's timing, to trust in his providence, but to labor in humility, submitting to King Jesus. How fast things change. Man, in South Africa, we recently discovered a new variant of COVID. You may have heard it uh, on the news, the Omicron variant. In fact, within a matter of hours and in a day, literally, everything shut down to South Africa. Uh, all the doors just came like shut. Um, and so travel becomes very difficult in these kinds of ways, even within Africa as well. And it's so discouraging for me because I've got, got to get down to um, East Africa to do some events there, got to get to different places. And, and uh, man, sometimes we wonder, Lord, have you abandoned us? Have you left us? When will we ever see the end of this pandemic? Friends, although we might have those questions, even if we cannot see it, the book of Esther reminds us and teaches us that God is at work behind the, the facade of history. He is there at the mountaintops we experience. He's there in the valley of the shadow of death described by the psalmist. God is God. He will not change. And we can be assured of his plans and his purposes, and they will be fulfilled no matter what. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity, for your word, and for the way that you use it to speak to us. And so, Lord, may you just speak through your word to each and every one of us as we learn to trust in your timing, to lean on your providence, and in all things, Father God, in the midst of great weakness, that we labor in humility and that we don't take that for granted. Thank you for this time. Speak through your word and help us to obey it. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you are blessed and be encouraged in your faith life. Chapel happens every Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 11 a.m. in the gymnasium or online at livechapel.twu.ca. You can also stay connected with us by following at TWU Chapel. Until next time, much love.